how do you get really personal and customize the individual as, as well as the individual family unit, right? So, you know, I may not be there. Maybe I'm with my friends, maybe with my family, whatever that unit is. Also, you need to take into account the fact that they are together uh, and customize things for them. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastic, Josh. How are you? Uh, doing awesome. Doing awesome. Question for you. Yeah. Throughout your time in the attractions industry, both working in the industry as well as a guest in the industry, can you think about the most memorable experience you have had? I don't have children. But I would imagine it's like picking children because there are so many memorable experiences. Um, does it have to be something that was designed or something that, that just happened that was memorable? Could be something. Yeah. Something that just happened. Okay. Yeah. Um, in my second year working in the industry, I helped a small child find his parents because he was lost. Hmm. And to me, that was an amazing employee experience because obviously they were appreciative, but as he was, I mean, he was, I don't know how old he was. He was very short, very small, very small human being. Um, but as I, you know, we always teach people to get down on their level and I did that. And as I stood up to walk to, you know, try to find his parents, he seemed to think they were in one, one particular spot. He reached up and held my hand. And I knew right then and there that he trusted me. And that was a huge responsibility to find his parents. And so luckily we, we were able to find them very quickly. Uh, but that memory has really stuck with me that, that maybe it was even a transformation as far as me staying in the industry as long as I have. Whoa, you just used that word right there. I know I transform did. What do you mean by that? <laughs> Basically that I was changed, right? And what is great about our guest today, Joe Pine, is that not only does he talk about services and he talks about goods and he talks about experiences, he also talks about if we can tap into people's aspirations, we can literally transform them. And what an amazing experience that will be for them that will help us build our businesses. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Joe Pine is an author, speaker, consultant, uh, co-founder of Strategic Horizons, and uh, just an all-around incredibly smart, interesting, very engaging uh, person to have an, an awesome conversation with. And uh, uh, this has been an amazing interview with him. And you know what I think was, was actually really cool, really interesting about it? I, throughout the interview, both of us were reminded of experiences that we could use as, as anecdotes yep. for, for the points that he was making and, and for the discussion. So we, we kind of share a number of like brief little stories that have happened to, uh, you know, to, to us over the years as, and, uh, and Joe as well. Yeah. Well, and you can't forget the fact that he actually worked at Valley Fair. He was a ride operator, just like you and I. So right there, we've got some common bounds, common ground, some common bonds, um, which I think, again, you know, helps us, you know, really bring in the experiences that we've all had. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd say let's get straight to uh, the experience of this interview with Joe Pine. Joe Pine, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We are so excited to chat with you today. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm excited to be here with, with both of you, too. Excellent. Excellent. So to kick this off, uh, can you give us a quick intro and background? I am sure that many of our audience members are familiar with you, have probably read the book, but for those who perhaps have not, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? 
Sure, sure. Well, the book you referred to is <laughs> The Experience Economy, although I've written four or five uh, other ones. There you go. That's the 2020 re-release, originally yes. written in 1999, discovered originally in 1993 or 94, uh, and uh, and ever since it's been, it, I, I, you know, I, I do speaking, teaching, consulting around the world to help companies embrace the experience economy and understand that goods and services are everywhere commoditized and, and what people want today are experiences. And fortunately, that's the business of the attractions industry. <laughs> Absolutely. So Joe, how did this come about for you? How did you get in, inspired by the experience economy and how did this become sort of your, your life? <laughs> well, it, it, uh, so I got to give a little bit of a story as I started off very much as a nerd working for IBM and technical jobs, right? And moved up into management strategy. And when I was in strategy, I discovered the term mass customization, which explained everything I was seeing going on at IBM. And it's from a book that Stan Davis wrote called, called Future Perfect and explained everything that I was seeing. And so then I spent my, uh, IBM sent me to MIT for a year to get my master's degree. And I found out I had to write a thesis. So I said, well, I'm gonna write a thesis. I can turn it into a book. I'm gonna write on mass customization and that. And so for, there are many people in the world for which that is the book, right? That's their Bible is mass customization, particularly more in manufacturing industries and so forth. But uh, you know, there's an international conference on mass customization you know, every, every other year and so forth. Um, but then when I, after I left IBM, and I was, you know, I was teaching on it to our clients and in the IBM consulting group. <clears throat> I, was, I was back teaching at IBM and uh, I was talking about mass customizing and how it automatically turns a good into a service, right? That, that it's just like if you mass customize your good, then you're helping your customers figure out what they want. Then you manufacture, then you deliver it to them personally, right? That's the definition of a service. And the smart aleck in the back of the room says, well, what, what you talk about service companies that mass customize, what does it turn a service into? And I shot back that mass customization automatically turns a service into an experience. And I went, whoa, that sounds good. <laughs> right, hold on a second, I got to write that down. And so really, it just came out of my mouth. I realized that it was, that it was true, that I did some studying on it and recognized that, that, yes, if you design a service that is so appropriate for a particular person, exactly the service that they need at this moment in time, then you can't help but make them go, wow, and turn it into a memorable event, turn it into an uh, experience. So that, therefore, there would be an economy based off experiences, just as there was a service economy, an industrial economy based off goods, and a growing economy based off commodities. And then once you see it, right, then you see it everywhere. Right? People even tell me, like, how did you figure this out 25 years ago? Well, well, 20, almost 30 years ago now. And, and, and once you see it, no matter any time in the last 30 years, then, then you recognize that, it, that it's going on. You see experiences everywhere and you see how much people value the experiences that they have. And that of course has only increased dramatically in the last 25, 30 years. Yeah. So the word experience, I, I feel like it's, it's a vast concept and, and in many cases it, it can be vague so really bringing it down to earth is there a universal definition that you use that can be just really applied across all disciplines as far as what the word experience really means yeah yeah it, it, it is a vague word or or I'd, I'd say it's an expansive word it can be so you know we talk about our work experience or life experience there's there is the sense in which if we are conscious at all we're experiencing right and that's true so what I'm talking about is experiences as a distinct economic offering, as distinct from services as services are from goods. And so the definition that, that I prefer is that experiences are memorable events that engage each individual in an inherently personal way and thereby create that memory, which is the hallmark of the experience. So it can be events that you do. It can be places where you have an experience. It can be you know, so many different things. It can be physical or it can be digital or, or you know, virtual. Uh, all of those fit under that rubric, but it's about engaging people, right? Is the key aspect. You've got to engage them and you have to create that memory. And right? if you don't create a memory, then it wasn't really a distinctive experience. And so, Joe, when you talk about these experiences that create memories, obviously that can transcend industry, right? So it could happen anywhere. And actually, just before the recording and before you came on, Josh and I were talking about a bakery. And could the act of getting a cake be an experience, you know, if the if the proprietor were thinking yeah. in, those, in those terms? So kind of how do you take that definition and then bring it down to a shop owner, an attraction owner, a business owner and say, how do you do this? 
Yeah, you and, and you and you can absolutely do that. Is that the, the key is like when someone comes into your shop, are you engaging them? And it's really important for retailers. I wrote it before the pandemic. I wrote a digital article for the Harvard Business Review that was titled Shoppers Need a Reason to Come into the Store, right? Besides buying stuff. Because you can, and then particularly since the pandemic, we've taught everybody that they can buy stuff over the internet, they can get it delivered contactlessly. There's no reason to go in stores unless you create an experience for them. And so you think about how you engage them uh, and um, a, 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 you know, cake is a, is a beautiful thing to be able to think about. A bakery is a beautiful thing. I've, one of our uh, certified experience company experts, a good friend of mine, Kevin Dolly, has an entire method around the letters E-R-Y, right? Bakery, because right? it's, it's, what it does is it says, this is a place, right? The E-R-I implies this is a place. And when you've got a place, you wanna turn that into a place where you can stage experiences. And the basic principle is to, is to get people to experience your offering before they buy it, right? And wh whatever that is, whether it's a commodity, you know, commodities, Pike Place Fish Market, right? Think about how, what a wonderful experience they create around commodities, whether it is around goods uh, and, uh, and, and, and services, including retail services, is how do you create an experience? I'll, I'll, I'll mention this is not a small store, but, but Italy you know, it was the most vibrant retail format, I think, in the world today. And they combine all of these economic offerings in one place with, with a vibrancy as you move around where it's all fitting together that it creates a wonderful experience and you can experience all their products inside the store. You know, whether it's the commodities, because they'll bake them for you, whether it's the goods they have, they'll run appliances for you, whether it's the services. Uh, that they do, and then the experiences of the of the coffee shop and the restaurants that they that they have inside of there. Yeah, uh, so I live in Chicago, and I've been to, to been Italy to a few there, times. Right? I've been to the one here, and I've also been to I think it's one of, if not the original, which is in Turin in Italy. That's I don't know why good, I went yes. to Italy to eat at Italy, but uh, <laughs> it was <laughs> I was like, well, I gotta gotta see the original. And people have asked that me, is. what is it? It's, well, it's it's a grocery store. It's a, right. it's a restaurant. It's right. and I think just saying it's an experience is probably the the right. best. But way yeah, but it. normally you would say it's right. a grocery store, right? And you think about most grocery stores. What is the experience, right? The experience is what, what, how much of a discount can I get, right? What's on sale? That's the normal, and that's and that really commoditizes them. But Italy, as a grocery store, expanded in all directions and created this this wonderful experience. And you do have to experience it really to understand it. Yeah, and, and my wife and I have even had date nights at Italy. And to someone who doesn't know what it is, oh, you went to a, a grocery store right, right, you know, for right. for a date night. It's like, well, no, you got you got to go to you know to to understand it to fully uh, to fully see what that actually means. I uh, and I'm sure that there are you know so many other uh, case studies or examples uh, that really either fit the mold or distinctly do not fit the mold. And you can see where those businesses are today. You look at, you know, Toys R Us, or you look at uh, Sharper Image, I think is just a, a great example of how they uh, brought people into the store and, and you could do, basically, you could, you could have all the products for free for a short period of time. And that in and of itself could have been worth charging for. And right. so it's not just about the, the product itself or the, or the output that you're manufacturing, uh, but also the, the time being spent with it too. And I, I've heard you define uh, experiences or saying that the core function of the experience stager is designing time. So what does that mean? What does that look like in practice? Yeah, yeah, and I got I got that from uh, late architect John Jerdy, you know, perhaps the first experience architect who who said that experience design is the design of time. And as soon as I read that, it's like, yes, that's that's beautiful because experiences, first of all, are time well spent. You know, services are time well saved, right? Saving my time, do it better than I can. You know, like if you want to to uh, you know, I could bake a cake from commodities and cost me a few dimes. I could bake a cake from uh, goods and cost me a few dollars. I can go to a bakery, as you, as you said, Matt, and, and, and spend 15, 20, $25 uh, for it. Um, but, but, and that's all time well saved because then I don't have to spend the time baking all the cake. But how do you provide time well spent? And that is designing the time. And designing time is, is recognizing that all experiences happen over a duration of time. You can't have an instantaneous experience. I, I won't give you a set number of seconds you need to have, but you can't have an instantaneous experience. It needs to, because it needs a setup, it needs a climax, and it needs to come down again. In other words, what it needs is dramatic structure. 
And that's what you're designing. You're designing dramatic structure. If you have a flat experience, right, where nothing much happens, then it's not going to be memorable. To create that memory, you got to rise up to that climax and, and, and come back down again. Uh, and and one, one, one of the, the I've, I've got like seven, six or seven different uh, models for dramatic structure. Uh, the one I like the most is five stages, five E's, they call it which is enticing, entering, engaging, exiting, and extending. And if you could design that, and, and, and a bakery store could design that, how do I entice people to want to come to expect an experience when they get there? What's the first thing that happened? What's that first impression on the entering? How do I engage? Although all phases have to be engaging, of course, but the primary thing they're there for is engaging in, in that experience of, of buying that particular cake. Uh, and then what's the last thing that happened? What's on the exiting, which might be, you know, somewhere in there, you need what I call your signature moment, right? The thing that people remember you for, like, like throwing the fish at Pike Place Fish Market. Uh, and then how do you extend that through time and extend it in a way that it cements the memories, they recall the experience, they want to share it with others, and then they want to come back and, be, and it turns into enticing when they come back again. So design the time the customers are spending with you, recognizing it's not just inside of the store, if that's what you're thinking about, or even in, or inside of any attraction that you have. It's, it begins before they get there and it, it can extend well past there if you do it well. So I want to go back just a little bit because as Josh talked about, you know, going to the grocery store, quote unquote, and, you know, having a hard time describing that, I would imagine that the start of creating that experience might be hard for the, the operator to describe, right? You know, so it's easy for us to say, you go to an amusement park, you ride the carousel, we know what that's like, you're right, you're on the outside, you go up and down on the horses, we know what that's like. But to design an experience that we don't know how people are going to describe in the future. Like that's just such a blank slate, blue sky. Like where do you even start with that? Yeah, well, it, it, um, you have to envision what, what the experience that you want people to have. You have to recognize, though, that when you get actual people there, they never react the way you, exactly the way you're going to think. You know, it's like uh, Disney uh, you know, said to like hold back 20% of their budget uh, for after they come out with a new attraction so that they can redo it when they see how people actually respond, even though they've had people, their own people in there and so forth. Uh, and, and, and when they do it that second time, then they really get it right. And now it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, but you, you, so you've, you've, you've got to have all these, these principles for being able to um, uh, create that great experience. And, and, you know, envisioning what that might be, because there, the, the thing is one of the, the one of the, things that has happened since we have uh, actually shifted into the experience economy is this explosion of experiences. You know, escape rooms didn't exist 15 years ago. You know, they, they, now we've got all these wonderful escape rooms and people are used to that experience. We've got uh, immersive art experiences really didn't exist 15, 20 years ago. Now we have so many of those around, you know, Meow Wolf and the, uh, the Rosé Mansion, the Museum of Ice Cream and, and Area 15 in Las Vegas and on and on you go. Um, and people are now getting used to that. And, uh, and then you got all these other new genres, things, you know, one of the things I love most is like, is you think about top golf or putt shack, you know, where they take one of the most boring things in the world, which is hitting golf balls on a driving range, like not even on a course. And because they added socialization and they added food and beverage, right. And they, they designed the time and turned it into a game, uh, that you're spending there. Then now it's this great experience. So it's thinking about all of these things and bringing them all all together. Uh, no, that's so interesting, and particularly, yeah, to the point of of Top Golf or similar types of venues, kind of just adding food and beverage and and just uh, and great music that people want and and good lighting and just kind of creating the the facility component of the experience around it. Uh, says, yeah, let's let's go to a driving range this this Friday. It'll be, <laughs> exactly. it'll be it's fun. Uh, which is something that you know, prior to Top Golf, you know, no one, no one would really. Yeah, no one it's ever said those words before. Right? Let's go to a driving range for my birthday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're we're talking primarily about experiences in in physical spaces. Uh, you did mention the uh, experiences can be digital; they can be virtual. And really curious as far as what your thoughts are as we just start to see 
more and more uh, of, of digital experiences coming to life, particularly, I, I would say, yeah, during, during the pandemic, museums offering virtual tours and things like that. But now, you know, you can buy courtside seats to an NBA game in the metaverse. Is that an experience or is that, is that just me sitting on my couch with a headset? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely an experience. If it engages you over the course of that, of, of that, um, uh, of, of, of the of the NBA game, and the the main thing that technology I, and I wrote one of my one of my four or five books is all about this. It's called Infinite Possibility: Creating Customer Value on the Digital Frontier, and it talks about virtual reality and augmented reality and all of those. And I do tend to think that augmented reality, as well as what I call alternate reality, have the most potential because those happen in the real world. And you know, the real world will always have the richest of experiences, right? Reality already comes in 3D. You don't need a headset. You get you know, stereo sound and engage all five senses and all of that. But where virtuality or virtual reality comes in is, is, is things you cannot possibly do uh, in reality. I did, I did have a friend once who gave me courtside tickets to a, to a basketball game, um, but I never would buy, spend that much money myself in, in buying them. Uh, and uh, and uh, uh, most people will not. So that so that allows you to feel what it is like to be there, even though you probably never would would do that otherwise. You can feel what it's like to you know fly to the moon, to to uh, soar like an eagle, uh, to um, um, uh, kite jump, you know, down and so forth. All of these different things that are simply not possible in reality, or that you'd never personally get a chance to, to do, including many for many of us visiting the Louvre, right, or visiting uh, the Guggenheim and, and Bilbao and so forth. So if I can do that virtually, that's a wonderful thing and engage me during that time. Um, but again, like the, the richest of experiences, um, um, I think will be those that fuse the real and the virtual. Think about things like Pokemon Go, which is what I call alternate reality. You get out in the real world, it's like you're playing a video game in the, in the real world, right? That's the backdrop of, of what you're doing. And one of the things that these are doing, as well as all the new genres of experience that I talked about earlier, is that they're really setting a new bar, right? That, that, that it used to be at the sort of at the dawn of the experience economy that uh, attractions were the best experiences in the world and, and attractions where people went. Uh, and, and now though, there, there's so much competition. There's, and, and what it is, is, is a competition for time, right? Is, is that I can only spend my time 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I gotta fit sleep in there sometime. And if I'm spending my time with some other experience, well then that's time I'm not spending with you. And so you have to up your game. You have to recognize what the um, uh, what these new possibilities are, and recognize you can't just stay in the past and keep doing the same things you've always been doing, because then, as with any industry, you'll be commoditized. And with all these different new genres of experiences coming in, you've got to recognize what are the things that we need to do to keep pace. So it doesn't mean we have to copy them or do the same things with them. It means that we have to figure out in our place, in our business, how are we going to be at least as engaging as all these other ways that people can spend their time? And so, Joe, speaking about the attractions industry, it is a, a vast industry. You know, you've got Top Golf, you've got family entertainment centers, you've got you know theme parks, you know Disney and, and those kind of type of places. So, because it's such a, a wide variety of, of facilities. It could be a very wide variety of experiences. And we talked before we started recording that you worked at Valley Fair. I worked at Valley Fair. So, so how do we take that experience of, you know, being in the park and understanding that there's so many different quote unquote experiences that can be created over the, the, the course of the, the different facilities? How do we take that experience? I keep using the word experience, but how do we take that and and now design experiences that, like you just said, are different and that aren't just kind of allowing people to rest on their laurels and say, okay, yeah, an amusement park, a family entertainment center, it is outside, it is an experience, but how do we up the game? Right, right. And, well, one of the things we did in the 2020 re-release that Josh, you showed earlier, um, is that we put all of the principles and frameworks in the experience economy under five rubrics, five elements, right? And, and, and if, you, if you think richly about these, then you'll be able to use them to, to create more engaging experiences, more compelling experiences. And basically it's that you want to stage experiences that are robust, 
cohesive, personal, dramatic, and even transformative. All right now, uh, robust is about what I call hitting the sweet spot of the experience that, that between entertainment, educational, escapist, and aesthetic experiences. And you think about an attraction is, is primarily, it's, it's often called entertainment, which is wrong. It's really escapist, right? Because you're going from your normal life, you're going into this park. Uh, generally, it is decked out in some way that's not like the real world. And so I'm escaping from the real world in there. There are entertaining elements of it. But if you have to recognize first that it is primarily escapist, then you say, okay, well, how do I then reach out to the other realms and be entertaining, be educational, learning? And often it's learning things about myself that, that can be so important, as well as aesthetic. What's the environment? Like museums are primarily aesthetic because you're creating a great environment where people can hang out with, with the pictures. So how do you create places where people want to hang out and, and stay with you? So that's about being robust. And you think richly about all four of those realms. Cohesive is about, uh, is about the theme. It's the theme is the organizing principle for the experience. It's how you decide what's in the experience versus what's out. And one of the key things that Disney and other theme parks do over amusement parks is they do have that theme, which can carry a storyline, which can be more immersive and more engaging be, rather than just a collection of rides, let's, let's say, right? Then personal is one of the things that I think the attraction industry really needs to focus on now. And uh, personal is about, about how do you reach inside each individual and recognize that every individual is unique and deserves to get different things based on who they are. And so often in attractions, we treat, we treat everybody as a mass product, right? That you're part of the masses. We don't care to learn anything about who you are. We're gonna give you the same thing even if we do, you get as everybody else, even if we do. And that's where, where uh, Disney was the first one with his My Magic Plus and the Magic Band and that was the first one to really start to recognize that, hey, if I put a piece of technology on somebody, then I can um, uh, be able to identify who they are. Maybe now I can start doing different things for them. They, they, and they do some things. They never got as far as what the original people envisioned it wanted, including John Padgett, who was one of the, the first five people on uh, the My Magic Plus project, he went over to Carnival and he did he did all, everything that he envisioned there actually based on work that we had done together, you know, 15, 20 years ago now, uh, where I really emphasized with Disney about that need to get personal, uh, is created the Ocean Medallion at uh, Carnival, which is an experience platform that allows them to customize everything about their shipboard experience and eventually, you know, before and after that shipboard experience as well. And I think there that that other companies and, and tractions in particular need to think about that is how do you get really personal and customize the individual as, as well as the individual family unit, right? So you know, I may not be there, maybe I'm with my friends, maybe with my family, whatever that unit is, also you need to take into account the fact that they are together uh, and customize things for them. Uh, dramatic is about the dramatic structure that I talked about, as well as recognizing that fundamentally when you stage experiences, work is theater, that, that your people are on stage and need to act in a way that engages the audience. And that's a key thing. That's the key thing. Again, you go back to any bakery, any order of sort of mom and pop shop is just recognize that you're on stage. And, and when people come in, right, you're not, you're not reading a book, you're not, you're not playing the game, you know, whether on the cash register or on your phone or whatever, no, is that you need to welcome them into the experience and be engaging through that through, by, by, by being on stage. And then finally is transformative and transformative is actually about going beyond the experience to, um, uh, to help your customers achieve their aspirations. And that, it's, it's really a fifth and final economic offering, this progression of economic value, where your staging experiences, because we only ever change through the experiences that we have, you're changing experiences that help them achieve some aspiration, whether like a top golf is to reduce your handicap, um, um, you know, coaches of all kinds are transformations, healthcare, fitness centers, management consulting, all of those are in the transformation business. And in, in attractions, I think also is think about how many uh, couples, for example, are going to spend their day at an attraction because, because one of them wants a better relationship? Because one of them is feeling like, you know, things aren't going that well today and I want to spend a lot of time with my spouse. Well, if you knew that, if you could customize to that, you could help them 
do different things that would that would achieve that or or uh, you know common one might be as a dad I want to be a hero to my kids, right? My kids are in those tween years now and they don't think dad's too much of a hero anymore. I used to walk on water and now anything I say, they go, you know, so how do I turn dad into a hero for his kids that day would be a wonderful, you know, short-term temporary transformation, but one that people would be willing to pay for. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If you find out, let me know. I have a a, (laughs) a toddler actually. And about a week ago, we were at a, we were at a, a like a small animal park and, and botanic garden, and I actually did feel that for a second when we were at a sea otter exhibit, and I was just holding my son. He's 15 months old, and he was just like going nuts, like his face, like his his reaction. Uh, that to me, like made me realize, okay, the experience element of of what is going on that's going to create the memory, and my memory is. I'm awesome for having taken right. you know, it. You, you, see, you see the look on his face, right? And that makes the entire mission fee worth it right there just for that moment. Right, right. Even if you don't capture it and put it on social media, which you shouldn't anyway. I did, yeah. <laughs> I, I, there was one thing in particular uh, that you said a, a couple of minutes ago that I'm wondering if we can expand on uh, just a little bit. Uh, you talked about the... Uh, the four E's and one of them being educate. And you said that can be something I learn about myself. Uh, Can you expand a little bit on how that can be achieved, whether it is in the theme parks and attractions industry or in experiences in general? Is this about the customer being the product? What what exactly goes into that? Yeah, it it, it can be a way that that you can lead to transformations by helping people understand about themselves like so what is it that is driving them in their in their life what is it that they they aspire to become most people don't know they're not really thinking about it and you can have some sort of experience that sets the stage for a transformation by helping them discover it so the real word there is is, is that almost is less learning than discovery is is is, is what is going on even like like, what is it with my relationship with my spouse or with my kid? You could help me learn about uh, age-appropriate things for my kids that would give me that moment that I have with them, whereas if it were a, a, a 24-month-old, it'd be a different thing. If it were a 30-month-old, it might be a different thing, or at least it would increase the chances of, of uh, getting those moments. Well, and Joe, you mentioned, uh, you know, um you know, spouses or boyfriend, girlfriend going to a, a theme park together. I actually got buried at Islands of Adventure in a theme park. So I definitely know what you mean about, you know, wanting to be as close as possible um, uh, in the theme park environment. But um, one of the things that I think you just hit on too, is that people don't necessarily know what that transformation might be right. until it happens. Right. So right. when someone leaves a park or an experience, how do they know What's, what's the difference that they would feel versus I had a really good time and I've got lots of great memories versus I've been transformed? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. The, 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 one of the things is, is that you'll react differently. You'll spend more time reflecting on what happened because you recognize that something's different now than it was before. And, and reflection is often an integral part of a, of a transformation process. Uh, you know, versus just like sharing, here's the highlights of it, right? And often you'll be trying to figure out what exactly happened. You know, how did, how did this happen? You know, sometimes we do have the proverbial life-transforming experience. You know, I, I remember once speaking at the American Association Museums, and I asked them, and speaking about transformation, I said, raise your hand if you're here today because of some particular experience that you can point to in a museum when you were young. And it was about 30 to 40%, right? Which is a very high number if you think about it, um, because that's when, okay, that happened, that, 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 that maybe it was touching the sea otter or whatever it might be that says, hey, this is what I want to do. This is what I love. But others, that transformation happens more slowly and over different sets of experiences. And sometimes you had to have pre-experiences someplace else in order to really get that happen, you know, and be primed for it, so to speak, you know, and, uh, um, and so you'll, you'll, you'll have that different reaction uh, out of it than, than you would with a normal experience where you just talk about you know, the highlights, the peak, and, and, and so forth. Mm. What are some of the ways that, uh, that businesses or, or attractions can uh, continue climbing that ladder beyond experiences and really 
dip their toe or, or kind of make their way into the, the fifth level of transformation? I think that the, the, the key one is to focus on aspirations, right? And, and another word I'll use, outcomes, right? That, that outcome. So uh, we talked about services as time well saved, experiences as time well spent, transformations are time well invested, that they're investing their time here because they are going to be changed and that change will pay dividends and compound interest, you know, now and into the future. So how do you make that time well invested and what, so what is the outcome? What is the aspiration that your customers are desiring out of this? Like, again, even if they don't know what it is themselves. And one of the ways to do that, often we can have like generic aspirations for our business. You know, a, a, a golf coach, you know, wants to, wants to lower their handicap. A hospital wants to go from sick to well. You know, a GlaxoSmithKline and their committed, in their, well, their, their um, Nicoderm. Uh, you know, patches and gum and so forth. They want to go from smoker to non-smoker. I mean, that's what their customers want. But within that, again, you have to get very personal. You have to, to understand uh, the individual aspiration that somebody has. Uh, and, and, and a technique to do that that I borrowed from manufacturing, old total quality management technique, you know, from my IBM days in manufacturing was ask five whys. Right. And ask five whys in manufacturing be to find the source of whatever bad thing happened. You got to ask, Till you get back to the true source. So in the same way, you can ask five whys of why they want to, to go from sick to well, you know, and, and, and you'll get an answer. And then you ask again, you ask again, it's not always exactly five, but the point is until you get down to that core aspiration that is really driving everybody else. You know, we, my colleagues and I came out with an article in the January, February Harvard Business Review uh, on um, uh, the new you business, we call it. So it's the transformation business about helping you become a new you. And, we, and I put that technique in there about asking five whys, um, but it's also understanding because it gets at the core job that your customer wants to, to get done, right? Or your guest wants to, to have done. And that core job, often they're functional, emotional, and social jobs. But there's a, if there's an aspirational job, that's the one you want to seek out and say, okay, now how do we bring together the right set of experiences right in our place, which maybe mean you go a different route than other people. Maybe there's some intervention that we have uh, going on here that most people don't get that would help you achieve that aspiration. And ideally, ideally, you charge for the outcome. You know, another key thing is that, is that you are what you charge for. And you know, if you charge for undifferentiated stuff, you're in the commodities business. If you charge for tangible things, you're in the goods business. If you charge for the activities your people perform in the services business, but economically, you're in the experience business if and only if you charge for time. Again, because that's what people are looking for, that time well spent. So you need to charge for that time. So a mission fee, a membership fee, and, and, and so forth as we, as we do in attractions. Um, but with transformations, it's really about um, about charging for demonstrated outcomes, charging for the actual outcomes that, that, that people achieve. And we're increasingly going to see that happening and, and have, you know, I'll, I'll mention one, there's a number of universities and other educational outlets, as we talked about education earlier, that don't charge tuition, right? Or at least for a subset of people, you know, I'm not gonna charge you tuition. I'm gonna fund your entire, entire education. And then when you get done, you're gonna pay me out of your income. Hmm. Right, because that's because what is the outcome you're looking for? You want a good paying job in the career that you've chosen, uh, and uh, and have the knowledge and capabilities to be able to do that. So that's what we're going to ensure you get. If you don't get a job, guess what? We don't. You don't have to pay us. If it doesn't make a certain amount of salary that's a commensurate for your field, you don't have to pay us. And uh, and if you get laid off, you don't have to pay us. Right. So so you you get paid based on that outcome that 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 people want. You know, as I'm hearing you talk about all these experiences and how we create them, I think about employees, right? Because we certainly need employees to create these experiences. But I also think a smart operator will look at this, not just for our external customers, but how do we create the enticement for people to come in, come in as an employee, right? As, a, as, a, as an applicant and all the other th pieces of the puzzle that you talked about. So is there anything special that people would need to do to adapt this to employees or is it pretty much apples and apples? Just look at that different um, audience. It is pretty much apples to apples. You know, I've thought about this and, and there are some difference because like, particularly the charging for, right. You're paying them rather yep. than them charging you. But in fact, the, the amount you pay them is going to be dependent on the experience that you provide. 
You know, so, and I'll come back, back to that in a second, but, but basically, yes, everything I talk about applies to employees. I've thought about this for decades, but only in the last couple of years, I've actually started to write about it. Uh, and the fact that, yes, I've, I've written, you know, a white paper on how you want your employee experience to be robust, cohesive, personal, dramatic, and even transformative. That, uh, that 5E model applies to your entire um, 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 uh, employment. And so many people forget about the end. They sort of like, you know, like you pick up your stuff, you reside, well, pick up your stuff and leave instead of writing, well, this is a potential customer. This is a person who's going to recommend you to other potential employees, right? You want to extend that experience there. It also applies to every segment of the employee's career. You know, every, every time they get promoted, you know, you you just you just exited that previous phase. You're into a new phase, and you need to think about what the new five E's are for that, and it applies to any event that you might do, and, and so forth. It's really a fractal. And same same thing in attractions, right? You've got a you've got the five E's for the entire place. I've got the five E's for every single ride. I got the five E's for this theme land versus that theme land, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so all the principles apply to the employee uh, experience. And one, you know, come out with a uh, with a few formulas uh, recently that I really think helps helps um, um, uh, understand what's going on. I'll uh, I'll mention a, 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 the first one we came up with in the preview of the 2020 release of the Experience Economy, and it's called the Money Value of Time. And this is less about employees than about your customers. So I'd have to think about it. Maybe it does apply there too. But your the Money Value of Time allows you to really compare how engaging your experience is relative to others. And it's, and it's very, very simple. It's, it's the uh, expenditures per minute. That's your money value of time. You know, if you, if you go to a movie and you pay, let's say, uh, you know, $12 for a two-hour show, uh, guess what? That's exactly 10 cents per minute. That's what movies get. That's the money value of time. If you go to Starbucks and, and buy your $5 drink and spend a half hour uh, to an hour in there, guess what? You're spending five to 10 cents a minute, right? Sort of on par with that. You go to a Disney theme park and they're over 20 cents a minute, right? But you go to an escape room, you go to the museum ice cream, you go to a Meow Wolf, you're now talking 30, 40, 50 cents per minute. And that's where these new genres have really been able to up the ante and create and reckon and let, let sort of lead the way to saying we could charge a lot more for this stuff if we just become more engaging. So it's a good way of measuring your money value of time. And I'm talking just about the efficient admission fees. Ideally, you include, like with Topgolf, you include the F&B, you would include the memorabilia that they buy as a result, right? And Disney, you know, makes probably as much of those as they do off of mission, but that's not public information. The admission fees are public information, so it's easy to measure that way. Then the second formula we came out with an article last September is that the value you create, right? And this can be for any business, and you can think about this for employees now, the value you create, which is equal to the, the money you charge, right? Based on how much value you create, is equal to the functionality provided plus your net value of time. So if you waste your customer's time, right? Think about calling up a call center and they ask you for your account number while you're in hold. And the first thing you do when, the call, when you get an actual human being is they ask you for your account number again. Well, you've just wasted my time. You go to a hospital and the first thing they do is give you a form to fill out of information they already have. Like, why are you wasting my time? You've got that, I've been here before, right? So we need to stop wasting people's time. But when you do waste time, guess what? Is that you're detracting from the value. You have to give them a discount to get people to buy your products. And, and that's why so many products, one of the reasons why so many products are only ever sold on, on sale because it's like, it's not worth it at the, at, the, at the primary price. But if you provide time well saved, then your net value is zero. But if you provide time well spent, then people, you're giving more value than the core functionality. A bakery that, that wants to sell you a cake, but yet you have a wonderful time designing that cake and seeing it made and, and, and so forth. Well, then, uh, then you're going to be willing to pay more for that and pay a premium for it. And if you get time well invested at the transformation level, you can pay much more. So in the same way you think about an employee is guess what? If you provide time well invested, then I'll accept less money from you. Right, then you can actually you know, have, and, and that's the way it is with many companies that are known. You think about Procter and Gamble and Gam and, and uh, branding, or you think about IBM and sales, or or uh, McKinsey and consulting. Right, you would take less money from them because you're going to set yourself up for your entire career because you're investing your time and in becoming, uh, you know, highly employable. 
And so it applies on, you know, both sides of the equation there. That was a long answer. Sorry. <laughs> it was great though. Good. I, I've thought about that from the concept of, uh, of when I take my car to get an oil change. Yeah. Uh, there used to be, you know, two places I would go to, and I won't say the name of either, but <laughs> one of them, I would go in and, and I would get greeted pretty quickly and they would say, hey, we'll take your car. Please have a seat on these old, not very comfortable chairs. Watch our TV with daytime television that nobody cares about. We have old <laughs> stale coffee and magazines from several years ago. And the car was ready and done in like 20, 25 minutes or so. Went to the other place. They said, yeah, it's going to be a couple of hours. We have these brand new movie theater style seating. We're playing, you know, the latest, you know, Disney movies or Transformers. We've got popcorn over here. We've got fresh bird coffee or it's the Keurig. The lighting is great. I, I would actually go and bring my laptop there and I've, <laughs> right. I wouldn't even care when my car was done. And I paid a lot more for that too, because it was a, it was a more comfortable experience and it was a, it was a better investment of, of my time and, uh, and my dollar for that as well. So. Right, right. Exactly. Um, you, you, and anybody can see it in their own lives. Well, let's apply it to our businesses as well. Right. Right. I, uh, so we talk about transformations, we talk about uh, kind of going up the, the progression of the economic ladder. I, what happens next? What's what's after transformation? Can we can we see it? Do we have do we as humans have the ability to, to look that far? Yep, I, I love this question. I've thought about it a lot, and the answer is no. There's nothing after transformation. <laughs> the end. <laughs> and there's right the end. There, I, I mean, we'll always have more aspirations, right? We'll always want to become better and and so forth. So it's not like and and all the other offerings aren't ever going away. So it's not like we're you know coming into some sort of of uh, post-monetary uh, economy or anything. But the basic reason is there's two dynamics in this progression of economic value. One is commoditization. That commoditization is like the law of gravity. It drags you down year after year. If you do nothing else, you'll be commoditized. That's what many attractions are facing with all these other new experiences out there, that if they don't up their game and they don't become more engaging, they're going to become like a commodity. It's like, okay, we'll go there. We've got nothing better to do. Uh, and then customization lifts you up. Customization is the antidote of customization because if you customize for this individual person, you can't help but differentiate what you do for them and differentiate your offering, therefore, and it, it can't be a commodity. So, so you, know, you commoditize experiences, you customize and turn them into transformations, but you can't co com uh, um, uh, commoditize transformations in the same way because, Matt, I think you said earlier, I didn't, I didn't come back to the phrase, but you said about the customer as the product, right? And that is the core of the transformation. That with a transformation, the customer is the product. Doesn't matter all the other stuff you do, including the experiences they undergo, if they don't get the outcome that they want. So it's actually a changed person as a result. Well, you can't commoditize human beings. We're inherently unique. So you can't commoditize transformation in the same way. And when I think about customizing them, or, you know, what would be at a higher level? What would be something that is beyond helping them achieve their aspirations? And the only thing I can think of is that you would be perfecting people. And you talk about perfecting people, that's no longer the province of, of the economy. That's the province of God. And, you know, we can't, we can't do that. So I think that there, I'm open if people have ideas, and, uh, but I think that there, there isn't any economic offering after that. Even if we got the transformation, I think we'd be doing pretty well. Right. Exactly. Not, not even to think about wait, what's, what's after that. But um, Joe, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, if you had any sort of last words for, for our guests or for our, for our listeners about sort of what they would take away from trying to uh, employ the uh, experience economy in their business, what would those kind of final words be? Well, I would, I would recognize that, you know, the thing I ask every company is what business are you really in? Right. And understand you're in that business. There's a lot of attractions that sort of think of them still the services, you know, that these are activities that we do and you directly know we're fully in the experience business. Understand where your competition is going and your competition is not other attractions. It's anywhere people can spend their time. Right. So it is. So the key focus is the, the one thing I'd leave is it's about time. You have, you know, I think one of your first questions, Josh, it's about designing the time that customers spend with you. It's about offering that time well spent and even guiding that, that time well invested. And if you think about the time, the customer time that they're spending and, and how you enhance that, then, you, then you'll gain greater economic value. Awesome. Uh, Joe, this has been uh, phenomenal. 
I actually do have one final question for you before we we wrap up. And you did mention to us that you were a ride operator at Valley Fair early on <laughs> yeah. in your career. So I, I feel like we we can't just gloss over that. So uh, any lessons that you learned from your time operating rides, working on the front line in an amusement park that uh, have stuck with you throughout your career that uh, that are just as meaningful today? You know, the, the thing I thing I uh one of the things I remember about it, which I always enjoyed doing, uh, is is that I, you know, I'm, a, I'm very much of an introvert, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, almost antisocial, my wife would tell you. Uh, and and I really did act differently when I was in, when, as a ride operator. Uh, and, and I'd sort of like channel that part of myself that was engaging to people so that to help make their day, have, help them have a better time. Um, also to introduce myself to a lot of girls. You know, I, I had to get less, less that as well. I, and I remember the second year I was there is that they instituted this program. I don't remember the name of it, but basically they would give guests of the park these little little chits. And then if they encountered somebody that really did a great job, they'd give them a chit, right? And one of the people that was there, a woman, and we actually went to high school together. We never interacted that much in high school. But when she saw those things in somebody's somebody's hands, boy, did she turn on the chart. And it was just a matter of understanding, I mean, how much more engaging she was when she thought that she'd be able to get one of these incentives and allow her to buy all this stuff than she, than she was otherwise. So, so if you had sent people in the right way, and, and ideally that incentive is not extrinsic motivation of, okay, we'll give you prizes, but it's the intrinsic motivation of, I want to do the right job. I want to, I want to be engaged and I want to be on stage and so forth um, that, um, that then you can, because it doesn't require any capital equipment. You don't have to require any changes. If you can just get your people to act and, and direct them to act, give them roles to play and then help them perform engagingly on your, your business stage. And that all comes from creating the right kind of experience for your employees. Right. I mean, if exactly. we if we bring it down to that, uh, that kind of bottom line. So, Joe, this has been a fascinating conversation. If people wanted to know more about you or your books or what you do, where would you send them? Uh, well, they can uh, link in with me if they want at, uh, you know, Joe Pine and uh, my Twitter handle is at Joe Pine. Our website is uh, strategichorizons.com, strategichorizons with an S.com. You can learn everything there. We have we do have, I think I mentioned uh, our Experience County Expert uh, training course that we have. We also have a frontline video training offering called OnStage, which is all about helping people be on stage on, on the front line that they can check out at our website or at uh, onstagetraining.com. Excellent. Well, once again, uh, we really want to thank you for your time today. Hope that it was time well spent for you and for everyone out there who is watching and listening as well. And uh, to everyone, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.